and welcome to the Shepherding Talk podcast. This is Aaron Kempel. It's great to have you with us. Today's podcast is Thriving Churches or Dying Churches. We had a fantastic leadership panel discussion with Don Truex, Ricky Jenkins, Roger Schaus, and Max Dawson. I was privileged to ask them a lot of different questions about thriving churches or dying churches, and they just gave some fantastic, experienced, godly, wise answers. I recommend this podcast to you to share it with anybody that you can share this with. Very valuable information. God bless you. Thriving churches or dying churches, what makes the difference? Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Monday Night Bible Study hosted by the Dallin Road Church of Christ. My name is Aaron Kimple. We have a special edition of the Monday Night Bible Study. We've assembled a leadership panel. We're going to be answering several questions tonight under this umbrella of thriving churches versus dying churches. And so I'm very pleased and happy to introduce to you Max Dawson, who's one of our shepherds here at Dallin Road, and also Ricky Jenkins, who works with the Campbell Road Church of Christ in Garland, Texas, Roger Schaus, who works with the Charlestown Road Church of Christ in New Albany, Indiana, and Don Truex, who works with the Temple Terrace Church of Christ in Temple Terrace, Florida. Good evening, gentlemen. Good to be here. Good evening. Good evening. Glad to have you with us. So, I mean, I wanted to do this for a while. I, again, I respect the great work that you're doing in the kingdom, specifically when it comes to leadership and church growth and and uh, seeing key things that causes church to grow, churches to grow or to die. But um, from a humorous, I guess, example is I, I'm I'm a fan of a show called Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah, you may be familiar with that, but Gordon Ramsay, famous chef, he goes into these restaurants and they're just a dumpster fire. Okay. And, and so there's a lot of things that are going wrong with these restaurants and he comes in and uh, spends a week with them and helps, hopefully if they listen to him, rehab that restaurant and turn it into a growing restaurant where uh, they were about to go bankrupt. And uh, as we watched enough of these, my wife and I, Anna, you know, I'm like, Anna, it's the same thing every time. And so as I'm watching these shows, it has to do with leadership. You know, it has to do with the owners, the managers, how those owners and managers interact with their staff. Um, the quality of the food certainly matters. Um, the atmosphere uh, and the guests. And there's other things that, that come along as well. But I thought about that, you know, one night with Anna, I was like, you know, I'd love to see a show called Church Nightmares. And uh, just just to have a, it was one of those uh, funny moments for me, I guess, but I was just thinking about this idea of what causes churches to die, what causes churches to thrive, what makes the difference. And I thought of you guys, I said, you know, I'd love to see you guys have a discussion on this. And so, you know, we've been interacting over the past, you know, month or so and talking about this, and you all gave me a list, a short list, and it was interesting, the similarities. I mean, you had unique things in each list, but there were similarities in those lists, and that's what formed these eight questions tonight. Each of you are going to answer, be be the first to answer uh, two of these questions, and then we open it up to the panel. Uh, but Roger, you're the leadoff hitter tonight, and uh, so you got to get to uh, at least second base here, okay? So you got to hit a double. But uh, it was interesting because all four of you said the word culture. Well, one of you said atmosphere. But all three, all four of you said something along the lines of culture or atmosphere. The difference in thriving churches versus dying churches is culture or atmosphere. And Roger, the reason why I'm asking you is because in your response, you said we need to define church culture. 
So Roger, give us a 50,000 foot overview of culture, church culture. What are we talking about here? All right. That's, that, that's a great question because it, it, it's something that's not asked very often as we think about how a church operates and such things. Your analogy to restaurants is, is very fitting. Um, I remember this place in Kansas City that I ate. It, uh, it was where Harry Truman used to eat. Food was awesome, but I would never take my wife there. I don't, I don't think they've cleaned the, the floors since Truman was president. So, so the atmosphere wasn't appealing. And so when we talk about an atmosphere or culture, sometimes we use the word DNA of a church. Um, we see this in our homes. I mean, I, I've been in some homes. I was in a home one time where they had plastic over the chairs and the couches, and, and you felt like you're in a museum. You just didn't, you felt like, you know, you just couldn't sit down. I've been in other homes where there's stacks of newspapers on the couch. I'm just throw them on the floor. And, you know, so so the culture of the DNA of a church, the atmosphere has a lot to do with how they how they worship, how they present things. You know, I've been in some places where, you know, service is supposed to start at nine o'clock. Well, it's five after nine. We're still not going. We're just kind of you know, everybody's just kind of who's going to do what. It's, it's just kind of disorganized. And, and so that has a lot to do with how a church is going to thrive or not. Are we serious about the Lord? And I think one of our questions coming up here is going to talk about excellence and such things. Here at Charlestown Road, uh, not a Sunday goes by that we do not make the statement that Sunday is the best day of the week. Mm-hmm. We say that over and over and over. And that has become part of our DNA. Sunday is different. Sunday belongs to Jesus. So we come early, we give our best to God. That becomes part of our culture here. And so when we think about what we're doing, it, it's a seriousness we bring to the Lord. And that's that's kind of what I mean by culture. And, and you know, you, you be some places and you wonder about that. You just wonder, you know, is it more about us or more about Jesus? And so that's, that's kind of the 50,000 foot view of what I mean by atmosphere or culture. Yeah, I love that. So, uh, Ricky, what are your thoughts? Well, in addition to what Rod, Roger said, you know, having worked in the smaller churches and now with a larger church, you see the openness of people and the willingness to uh, to stretch yourselves. Uh, sometimes, like with the Psalms, uh, some churches are not really open to trying new songs. Uh, the Campbell Road, we've been pretty good about being able to expand the number of songs we sing. Uh, also, I think with regard to Bible classes and just openness with preaching. I think c- culture and openness kind of go together. Mm-hmm. You can walk in a building and you can tell when it's closed. You can mm-hmm. tell when things are tight. And I'm not trying to speak negative about tradition because I think tradition has a point, has a, has a value. But when that begins to override everybody's thinking and we can't move because of that, and you walk in the building and it smells stale. It looks stale and people feel stale. Mm-hmm. But if you walk into a building and people are alive and it's vibrant, I, I think you have a culture that's welcoming, a culture that uh, that's inviting to people, a culture that says, we want you to come. That's what I think about. Yeah. Awesome. Don. Well, first of all, let me say that Roger wouldn't take his wife to that restaurant in Kansas City, but he took me. And so I did. <laughs> oh, I and did he took me too. That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the fact is that uh, while it was a hole in the wall, the food was delicious and you did feel very welcome there. 
and what mattered what was what they were serving was the food you know every church has a every church has a temperature every church has an environment and atmosphere every church has a feel when you walk in uh, i had a family who was visiting with us last night from texas and they stopped me on their way out and they said this and this is a friendly church and i gotta tell you that means something to me when i hear that because we worked hard to develop that we've worked hard from the day i arrived i've talked about our church family and we talk about that roger talked about you know this is sunday's the best day of the week here in every service we talk about our church family and that's that's the culture that's the environment the atmosphere that we've tried to develop because that's what we believe that we have to be but that takes effort. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, but it is absolutely essential because, as Ricky says, it, you're going to develop a feel one way or the other. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Max, close us out on this one and we'll move on to the next one. Yeah, well, I appreciate what Don said about uh, the friendly church. Uh, every church says they're friendly, but what they typically mean is they're friendly to one another, but they're not open to outsiders. They're not friendly to outsiders. You can walk in and walk past several people in the foyer. They won't speak to you. When it's uh, services over, you walk out, no one speaks to you. You see that in a lot of places, and that's tragic. We cannot, we can't wait. Uh, since we're talking about culture, Two, I think, of the most critical things with respect to culture is to create a culture of evangelism and a culture of peace, because dying churches do not have a culture of evangelism. They may talk about evangelism, but there's not very much going on. And another thing that creates dying churches is when brethren fight and squabble over matters and mm -hmm. actually drive visitors away. When you walk in that building where there's a church fight going on, you can sense it. It's in the air. It's, yep, you, can almost, right. you can almost feel it and touch it. So uh, I like the idea of culture culture of evangelism, culture of peace, and also a culture of serving. You know, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of servants. Promotes service to God, service to people, service to people inside the church, and urge people to uh, serve those who are outside the church. And of course, the best thing you can do for those outside is to uh, take the Lord Jesus to them. Yeah. Amen. And we'll get to that uh, about evangelism in, in one of our uh, future questions. Great, great thoughts, everybody. Okay. So second question, now we've dealt with culture. What's the role of leadership, Don, uh, shepherd leaders in forming the congregational culture? Well, that, that's a great, that's a great question. It's an important question. It, in our church family, one of the things that I talk about a lot is Philippians 2 and 2, where Paul said, I want you to make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. And it just seems to me that if we could, if we could develop those four traits, same mind, same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose, then that one purpose really might have you know, multiple fingers that come out from that, just as Max expressed, evangelism, harmony, uh, sound doctrine, all those things. Uh, you've created a, a wonderful culture in that. Leadership's absolutely indispensable. My dad preached the gospel for 60 years, and one of the things that he told me over and over and over is that a church will never, it may do it temporarily, it may do it temporarily, but it can't do it over the long run. And so <clears throat> leadership becomes critically important in developing that culture, that environment, that, that temperature. Uh, I've been teaching a lesson in uh, the shepherd workshops that I've been doing. 
where I've I've talked about four or five traits that shepherds absolutely must have in the church. And I talk about the fact that shepherds must care. Shepherds must care about people because great leadership is about inspiring people, caring about people, caring for people. And when you do that, you're helping create that environment. And that shepherds must communicate because if you don't communicate with people, they don't feel valued. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do we feel valued by someone when they share their thoughts, their ideas, their feelings with us, and when they listen to us, and we feel like they care about what what we are saying. That helps develop that, that family culture uh, as well. And, and I talk about the fact that <clears throat> that leaders have to be men of character. Shepherds have to be men of character. That their their lives have to be marked by honesty and integrity, and by respect for others, and by selflessness, because that's how the flock knows that you're servant of them. You don't see yourself as a CEO. You don't see yourself as a, a president of an organization. You see yourself as a servant leader, just like Jesus was. Read John 10, and that comes very clear there. And I talk about the fact that leaders, <clears throat> leaders, shepherds have to have courage, particularly in 2023. If, if shepherds want to create an environment, a culture, a temperament church, where a church family feels safe and secure and where it can grow, then shepherds have to have have courage. They, they've got to have the courage to, to identify danger and be willing to identify it. And they have to be willing to speak for the church. As for me and my house, only as for me and this church, this is where we're going to stand. And the courage to think independently, commitment to influence others for good. And so shepherds are absolutely indispensable in the creation of that environment. Because again, it goes back to church can't rise above its leadership over time. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Okay. So very good. Uh, so just a few minutes here. So uh, uh, Max, well, turn it to you. What are your thoughts? Well, I just want to say one thing about leadership. Uh, one of the keys to thriving churches is planning for the future, planning for future leadership. Uh, there are multiple churches across this land that each of us know about that do not have uh, elders, uh, bishops currently within the congregations. And typically that is a failure to plan for the future. And so if you're going to maintain that kind of culture that we're talking about, you've got to be thinking about the next generation of leaders always. And even after you appoint two or three new men to the eldership. You need to be thinking now, where are we going to be five, six, eight years from now? Are there other men that we can prepare and groom for that mess, for that work? And as you groom men for the work, you need to groom men who will truly be shepherds to God's family, not mere decision makers. That's a critical element in growing churches is that you have men at the helm who are shepherding the flock of God. Yeah. Amen. Roger? First of all, it's amazing. Max can only say one thing about leadership. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's so much he could say. Oh, I know. We we I know we could do this for for hours and hours and days. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, to to have the right culture, the shepherds have to embrace that culture themselves. Uh, yeah. You know, when, when you read Psalms 23, he didn't just say go go feed yourselves sheep. He led them. Mm-hmm. He took them to the quiet waters. He he himself knew where those places were. And so for a, for a church to embrace a certain culture, the leaders have to embrace it themselves. 
And from them, it's going to trickle down to everyone else. Uh, that culture has to be taught, has to be taught in Bible classes, it has to be preached, it has to be practiced. But as Don said, if the leaders don't embrace it, the rest won't. Um, you, you find a cold church, well, you're going to have cold leaders. You find a church that's non-evangelistic, you got leaders who are non-evangelistic. And so, so to, to get the culture that is pleasing to God, it starts with the leaders themselves. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Ricky, close us out on this one. Well, I was, I was thinking particularly as Don was talking about leaven leaders in the congregation are like leaven. They, they spread. It may not necessarily be overt all the time, but they're working and they're working with people and like leaven spreads, their influence spreads, their example spreads. And over time you begin to see the handprint of the leaders on the church. So when I th think of it, I don't think of it all the time as being out front, though that is a significant thing. I'm not diminishing that. But what kind of leaven are we having uh, influencing this church? And leaders are most effective, I think, when they can quietly talk to people and shepherd people, be the example for people, be a bishop for people. Yeah. I think of the influence of leaven. Yeah. Amen. And so as you talk about uh, people, Ricky, we're going to lead into this third question. So this is going to be where you lead off here. And so what do you, when you said on your, your response, your short list was people, people, people. Yeah. I love that. Well, you know, uh, I had drilled into me by one of my significant mentors in life that we lost last year, uh, D Bowman. He always impressed upon me. It's all about the people. And you think about it, that's who Christ died for. He didn't die for animals. He didn't die for things. He died for people. And we work with people. People sometimes can be messy. Mm. People can be great. It runs, it runs the scale. But we're all working with people. They can be frustrating. They can be exasperating. But I think of how Jesus handled his 12, even with Judas, uh, how he dealt with them. You got Peter. James and John and James and John are fussing about who's going to be gracious in the kingdom of heaven. And they wind up being John, the apostle of love and James, great influence and Peter first in everybody's list. And so Jesus took his own disciples and in teaching them, discipling them, he showed us how to help people. And I think the final thing I would say is we have to understand people can change. But as Don has said in our conversations multiple times, churches are like tankers. They're not like speedboats. And people comprise churches. And as they're going to change, it's not going to be overnight. You bring someone out of the world and all the baggage of the world, they're not going to be 30 years old in the gospel overnight. Mm. And it's going to take a while for that transformation to take place. But our work is first and last. It's all about the people. Without the people, we don't have work. Yeah, very good. Okay, Don. I really appreciate what Ricky what Ricky said. If I absolutely, if I could just key off one thing there, I, I Ricky makes a great point. You know that Jesus died for people. We need we need to always remember, he died for all people. Uh, one of the things that he did in selecting that group of twelve was they were not clones of each other. 
And I think that's an important consideration that uh, <clears throat> Jesus died for all people. He died for people who don't look like us and think like us. He died for people who didn't grow up in the same nation we did. He died for people who are not in the same political party that we are. In our church at Temple Terrors, the last time I counted, we have people in our church who hold a passport from 15 different nations. We're, we're different nationally here. We are a multiracial uh, congregation. I mean, as we teach our kids to sing red and yellow, brown, black, and white, that's who we are here. And, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful grateful for that because it has helped us it's helped open our eyes and broaden our perspectives it's helped us with evangelism it's helped us with just love within the church family and so people 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 we need to remember all kinds of people yeah amen max well as uh, don and ricky were talking I, I was thinking about just loving people you know uh, someone says we're a friendly church i commented on that a moment ago but if you really want to be a friendly church to outsiders, you need to have a culture of love within the church that says we welcome outsiders. We need to love people in the church, but also love people outside the church. You know, if we're going to do evangelism, I can't talk to my next door neighbor who hasn't darkened a church building in years. I can't talk to him and say, well, it's a shame, you know, people don't go to church like they used to. And uh, I start off criticizing him. Uh, you know, I want to invite him to come, but I'm not going to start off criticizing him. We need to develop, though, a love for people that says, I'm going to reach out to my neighbor next door, to my neighbor across town, uh, to the man at the Kroger store or the checker at Walmart, whoever it may be. We need to love people. That's part of our evangelistic culture at Dallin Road Church. Yeah. Amen. Roger, close us out. Well, I think that the example of Jesus that Ricky began with is so powerful. Um, first of all, Jesus trusted those apostles. There was no B team. He didn't mm -hmm. say, you guys are not getting it, so you're benched. I'm bringing up the other guy. He believed in them. And what a difference there were. I mean, you have a tax collector and you have a zealot. You have people from Galilee, people from Judea. And they're just, you know, if we were picking out 12 people to base a movement on, we would have 12 people that, that were similar. They were not similar. But with Jesus, they became that way. They became like Christ. And so, so that's we need to believe in people. Uh, Jesus believed in them. We need to believe in them. And, and then when we follow Jesus, he was around people that was not like him. He went to Samaria. He was with lepers. He was with tax collectors. They, those people were not like Jesus. In fact, no one was like Jesus. You know, uh, when Luke 15, they criticized Jesus for eating with sinners. Well, who's he going to eat with by himself? Because everybody's a sinner, you know? And so so we're going to be with people that are not like us, that are different than us. But that's okay. So was Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Hey, Aaron, so, can I say one more thing real quick? Sure. Absolutely. When I was a whole lot younger and I was preaching in Del Rio, Texas, it was about 1983, way out in the middle of nowhere, Dan Shipley came to hold a meeting. And preachers would come because I was out there by myself. I just unload on them. And she had been there long. And man, I was just unloading on him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Dan said, Well, Ricky, it's kind of like Robert Turner said one time they're just people. Hmm. They're just people. Yeah. Perfect. And as we think about people, and thank you, everyone, for that. We're going to move into our fourth question, and we're going to connect to this evangelism, Max, in just a moment. But, 
you know, one of the things that I thought about real quickly is Luke 15 is that the, the sinners came to Jesus. That's the think about culture, right? He created a culture where people were willing to come to him. They didn't go to the Pharisees that they had all the answers, but they didn't go to the Pharisees. They went to Jesus. And so as we think about evangelism, Max, why is evangelism critical to the thriving church? Well, I want to play off of what you just said about people coming to Jesus. Jesus made it easy for people to come to him. Mm -hmm. He made it easy for the tax collector, for the prostitute, uh, for the person who was really down in this world. He made it easy for those people to approach him. I also want to play off of what uh, Roger said. Uh, Jesus took 12 very diverse men and yet made them much like himself. You know, what is Christianity? It is being conformed to the image of God's son, Romans chapter eight and verse 29. And so we want to become more like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more evangelism we will want to do and the more successful we will be. I like to use the term aggressive evangelism. That doesn't mean you're aggressive with people, but you're aggressive in doing the work. You know, you talk kindly to people. Uh, at Dallin Road, we have a little simple card that we use uh, on one side of the card. It has the uh, address, phone number, website. Though is the side that we really appeal to uh, when we give these to people. Uh, if you're ever looking for a church that is a real body of caring people, if you're ever looking for a church that really teaches the Bible, a church that has answers for the problems of our time, I recommend Dallin Road Church. And when I pass those cards out, and I know you do the same thing, Aaron, um, we we put our first name and our phone number. Now, some people aren't co comfortable in putting their phone number, but uh, I've never, never once after passing out literally hundreds, of, hundreds upon hundreds of those cards, I've never had someone call up and, you know, do something mean over the phone. Uh, it's never been an issue. Uh, and in all the time that I've passed out those cards, I've only had one time when a man would not take the card. I was at the Kroger store that Lee and I shop at, and the man was stocking the Coke rack, uh, putting out the Coca-Cola. And I, I said to, hey, my name is Max. I'd like to invite you to come to Dallin Road Church. He looked at it for a moment and said, oh, you better give this to someone else. And I said, well, you can go ahead and keep it. No, I don't want to keep it. And so I, I wasn't going to be pushy with him, uh, but I need to aggressively do the work without being aggressive toward people. I, I, I'm a low-key guy. I don't believe in pushing people hard, but I want to keep opening that door for people. In Acts chapter 6, the early church was aggressive in evangelism. When you start with Acts chapter 6, they just got past the issue of the apostles being arrested, just got past the issue of Ananias and Sapphira lying. In Acts chapter 6, as you look at the very first verse, it says, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, and of course, it goes on to talk about a problem, how that some of the widows were not being properly cared for. But I look at that language, the number of the disciples was multiplying. They solved the problem there by appointing seven men who would take care of those needy widows. But when you look at verse number seven, it says, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What do you, what do you see? You see the church is being very successful in converting people. This is what I mean when I'm talking about taking the work of evangelism seriously and everybody having a part in that. 
we have literally at Dallin Road Church passed out tens of thousands of those little cards. And uh, we do it everywhere. And even when I'm traveling, I still have the cards with me. And I say, hey, here's a website I'd like for you to check out. I give it to someone at the Walmart or wherever we happen to be at the time. But evangelism has to be part of our DNA. It has to be part of the culture of the church. And we constantly keep that before the church. Just like uh, Brother Roger said, Sunday is the best day of the week. We keep that before the church every Sunday. Well, Dallin Road, we keep evangelism before the church constantly. And that's one of the things that has given us at least a measure of success. Amen. Okay, Roger. Well, in, in this context of thriving or dying, uh, what's the difference between a post in the ground and a tree beside it? Well, you come back 10 years, that post is still a post. It hasn't changed. A tree has grown. And so uh, a thriving church has life. And it's not about growing my congregation. It's pointing people to Jesus. Amen. And, and I think through, through social media today, we will have contact with people that will, may never come to where I worship. But if I can connect them to Jesus somewhere out there, that's what we're supposed to do. And so, so what we're doing is helping change lives. And it's not about growing a church. It's about connecting people to Jesus. Yeah, very good. All right, um, Ricky. <clears throat> yeah, in addition to what Max and Roger said, I, I go back to this thing about, about people. We had Harold Comer years ago when we were in our previous building in College Park before we became Campbell Road came and did a week's worth of work with us on personal evangelism. And he made the point with us that it is the lifeblood of a congregation. You think about we're bringing people in uh, and that's the lifeblood. We have pe people that are saved and that's significant. We can't ignore them. And that's a lot of what shepherding's about, but bringing people to the gospel is the lifeblood. And something else I have found as far as helping a congregation become alive is if I have been at a congregation and they have not baptized anybody in years and I teach and baptize somebody, even with that one baptism, it changes the whole atmosphere of the church and then tells people we can do this. Mm -hmm. So evangelism helps keep the culture alive, helps keep people alive because we know we can do this. And then I think something significant is our children get to see it. Our children get to see us do this, and that helps influence them, and they get to see, hey, this does work. This is alive. So evangelism has so many tentacles that go out from it other than just, okay, we're going to sit down and study with someone. The, the tentacles that go out from it have everything to do with how alive we are. That's what I think. Amen. All right. Don? Well, first, of all, I want to say that at the Temple Terrace Church, Max has helped us with this. Max has helped us in our church in two particular areas. The one is in shepherding, and the other is in evangelism. Evangelism has become such an important part of, of who we are and what we do. We have Kerry Keenan, who works with us. He's a full-time personal evangelist. He does amazing work. But one of the things that has to happen with the church, with evangelism, is you have to understand that it's not going to just happen you're not going to stumble your way into being an evangelistic church. You have to think about this, plan about this. You have to provide and train yourself really for this. One of the best things that we've done was about half a dozen years ago, we, uh, we sat down uh, as leadership 
And we, we really wrote a booklet, a booklet that we gave to every member of our church. And we called it <clears throat> Evangelism um, Today and Tomorrow. And, and in it, we broke it down. We talked about our commitment to evangelism. We talked about the models that we employed to bring that to reality. And then we talked about the strategies that we were going to use um, in, having, in having Carrie do his work in the, in the hospitality that we show visitors to our, to our assemblies. We talked about what our greeters were doing along that line. We talked about our emphasis in our Bible classes and how we could use that as an evangelistic tool. We talked about integrating new members into our church family and making them a part and training them to be evangelists. And then we talked about our financial commitment, all of that, and how we intended to increase that annually until we had reached a certain percentage of our, our funds going toward evangelism. Now, we did that about half a dozen years ago, but one of the things that's happened is that we've gone back to that. We have referred back to that over and over and over as to how we're doing with that. And I just think it's, it's critically important that if a church is going to thrive evangelistically, They've got to put thought into that. They've got to put planning into that. And they have to keep that, as Max talks about, you have done such a beautiful job at Dallin Road. I mean, I, I tell people when I talk about Dallin Road that evangelism is in the very air you breathe there. You all just set the standard for that. But you've, you've thought about that. And I think that's perhaps is where if churches fail anywhere, and I'm not trying to be critical about that, I think every church wants to be evangelistic, not necessarily every church commits themselves to the time and effort to be evangelistic yeah very good okay so we've, uh, Aaron, we're halfway we're halfway there Aaron, could, could i have one more just very brief comment to sure. that on evangelism uh, i think one of the things that is critically important in evangelism today is to create a powerful online presence uh, it has been said and shown by surveys that the website is now the front door to the church building uh, that before people will come to a service, they Absolutely. will check you out online. I know that Temple Terrace right now for the past year or so has been upgrading their website. Uh, they have a website that is very user-friendly, key element, user-friendly, uh, that invites people to come. And on our little card that we pass out, it's got our website right on the front. And uh, we right now are in the process of upgrading our website. But that website is critical. When people used to move to a community, they check out the yellow pages. That's dead. Okay. What are those? We don't do that. That's gone. <laughs> we don't do that any longer. Now it's your website. You must have a good website that is inviting to people yeah. on the website and that actually invites them to come to your assemblies. Yeah. Amen. And so that all, all of these points. <clears throat> They they inter they interweave with each other. They overlap, and so we're gonna talk more about that. I think in point six. So appreciate that, Max. Um, so Don, as we look at the fifth question, uh, you mentioned in your your notes to me about a clear mission statement, a vision for the congregation, and how every aspect of the work is filtered through that lens. What does what do vision and clear mission statements have to do with thriving churches? Well, first of all, vision is absolutely imperative. Uh, vision for the future, right? We can appreciate our past. We can learn from our past. We can build upon our past. <clears throat> but it is deadly to try to live in your past. And that's true whether you're trying to live in your past on your successes when you've had great success and you're just trying to coast on that, or whether you're paralyzed by your failures in the past. It can be deadly. I, I, 
either way. And so vision for the future is imperative. In our church family at Temple Terrace, we've identified we've identified basically five things as, as foundational when we think about vision and mission. And so we, we've identified sound doctrine, first and foremost, that everything has to be built upon sound doctrine. And secondly, meaningful worship. And third, <clears throat> family relationships, whether it's building our physical families within the church or whether it's seeing ourselves as a church family. And so we talk about family as number three. And number four is marking everything we do with excellence, not, not ever being satisfied with mediocrity. And number five is harmony, peace and harmony. Max pointed out a moment ago, divided churches are not growing churches. Churches that are fighting are not thriving. It's just forever true. And so <clears throat> that means that there are certain things that we value. It's interesting that when we were talking about this last Sunday in our, in our family report, our bulletin, I wrote a little front page article about what we value. And really, really what I was doing in that was saying these things that we value, they all fit within the parameters of these five foundational, these five uh, foundational points. And I, I made the observation, we value people, as Ricky was talking about a moment ago. We value people because all people matter to God. So all people matter to us because everybody's made in the image of God. We value relevance committed to trying to build a bridge between the Bible world and the modern world. And so we want to be relevant while maintaining sound doctrine. I mean, Paul said, I become all things to all men so that by some means I may gain some. We value spiritual growth. Individual spiritual growth is not only expected, but it should be the norm among us. Because when that's the case, then the church as a whole is going to grow. We value worship. It's one of those foundational points for us. We value excellence, again, a foundational point. We value community and service and prayer, harmony. In other words, all those things that matter to the Lord, those are things that matter to us. And we try to filter all of that down through those five things that we keep in front of the church on a continual basis. That's that's excellent. Okay, that I just really appreciate Um that mindset. Okay. So I'm thinking about a chicken with its head cut off. There's a lot of energy, but there's no direction, right? As I've processed a lot of chickens, guys, sorry, that's what comes to my mind. You know, there's a, there's a lot of energy, but no direction. And so, but you have energy, but it's directed. There's with, this is where we're going. Okay. Let's uh, have the rest of you speak to, to this idea of mission and, and vision for the congregation. Uh, Ricky. In, in addition to what, what Don said, I think uh, one thing that has been uh, significant for us at Campbell Road have been our Bible classes. They are a significant part of what our, our mission statement, our mission is about. Uh, they're all te they're textual driven. But our Bible classes have been one of the biggest uh, attractions for young families to come because they are mm -hmm. so, so well done. Our people do them very well. And so our mission flows through the Bible classes and the teaching we do in our Bible classes. And also they've been very, uh, going back to evangelistic, they've also been very appealing to people coming in from an evangelistic point of view. And it's not just the Bible classes Sunday and Wednesday. It's what we do in our vacation Bible school. It's what we do in our young people's thing. It's what we do with our old people's thing. The whole balance of it uh, filters through the Bible classes, which are all based upon the word of God and the sound doctrine that, Paul, that uh, uh, Don talked about. So for us, ours really flow through what the Bible we do in our Bible classes and the dissemination of that truth 
their Bible classes. And we, we try to, to be very effective with those and pay a lot of attention to that. Yeah. Uh, Max. Well, as Don was talking, I was thinking about uh, any organization, whether it's a business or army or football team, has to have three things to be successful, has to have a mission. Why does it exist and what's it supposed to do? Without a mission, it will fail. Has to have a vision. This is where you look to the future. Uh, what does it envision or hope to achieve? And then strategy, how will it carry out and reach its mission? Uh, Jesus, when he was about to leave the earth, he gave up to do that was expressed in matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 but that that statement there when jesus said go therefore teach all nations that encompasses all of god's people for all time and it includes us and so that tells us something about our mission the, the statement that we've come up with at dallin road and you know churches may have any number of mission statements but our mission statement is to glorify god by leading others to christ and helping one another grow in Jesus so we can be with him in heaven. Leading others to Christ, there's our evangelism statement, helping one another grow in Jesus. That means to grow to be like Jesus <clears throat> so that we can reach our ultimate goal. But we have to have strategy in all of those areas in order to accomplish that. Yeah, very good. Roger? I think another uh, way of expressing mission or mission statement is a purpose or identity. Um you know, McDonald's has an identity. No one takes their dog there to get groomed. Why? Because it's McDonald's. That's all you say. It's McDonald's. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't pull through the drive-thru and say, Will you change my oil? Why? Because it's McDonald's. Everybody understands it has a certain identity. And I think today um, there's a huge identity crisis about who Jesus is, um, about what the church is. And people now are, are having an identity crisis about who they are. I'm, I'm getting ready to launch a series of sermons about identity. And, and I think that's, that's really what we're talking about. When, when the congregation understands, what are we about? I, I don't come to church, as you use the expression, for you to serve me. That, that, that's not the identity. The identity is to glorify God and prepare people for heaven. And so what, you know, once people embrace that concept, this is what we're all about. Uh, then it trickles through everything, the classes, the sermons, the interactions, the serving, but but that identity or that purpose or that mission, that is foremost to understand, why do we even exist? And a lot of people couldn't even answer that question. Yeah, that's important to to define that. And uh, you guys gave just so much. I, I can imagine if people are taking notes right now, their hands are just burning up because there's just so much. So this is recorded, as you know, and you get to just watch us over and over again. There's a lot of good details here. We're packing a lot into an hour. So thank you guys for what you're doing. Roger, uh, number six on these questions. Why does a willingness to adapt to change have anything to do with thriving or dying churches? Adapting to change and how? what's the connection there? Well, life has changed and that's reality. Of course, as we, as we, introduce this we're not changing the gospel the message no. never changes that that's an absolute when and, and and that's that's just a given we do not change the message of jesus uh american culture wants to change the bible to fit them we change us to fit the bible that's that's a given there but but we're not in the 1960s anymore we're not in the 1970s anymore um the preaching i grew up with was fighting the isms, premillennialism, Calvinism, communism, humanism, atheism. Um, nobody cares about that. Nobody knows what that is anymore. And 
And so, you know, one of the thoughts that really helped me a, a few years ago was what's keeping people up at night? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what keeps a, what keeps a young, you know, young father who has maybe two or three kids, what does he, what's keeps him up at night? That's what we need to be addressing. Uh, what keeps the senior citizen up at night? And he's not tossing and turning about Calvinism. Okay. He, he, he's, he's concerned about where the society is going. He's concerned about the well-being of things. And so, so congregation adopts to those concepts. We make adjustments in our Bible classes. Do we always have to teach it verse by verse? Do we always have to teach it quarter by quarter? Can we have shorter classes? Can we have longer classes? Can we, can we look at things in a different way? Again, the message doesn't change. We're in a society that loves bullet points. Okay, so long, long explanations sometimes doesn't cut it, cut it today. And so we look at our gospel meetings. Um, what's the purpose of that? What what are we trying to achieve by those things? And so so what you're doing is you're you're visionary and you're looking at things and you're realizing that okay, what worked a long time ago may not work today. And our phones have changed, our cars have changed, society has changed. But sometimes we're still stuck in the past and we don't want to know why we're not growing. And that's that willingness to change. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Max? Yeah. Uh, culture is changing. I think it was uh, Brother Don who said something about taking the Bible world and bringing it to the modern world. Uh, we live in a modern world. Things are are very different. Our our culture is always changing. The family is changing. It's not just the family changing, but the way our culture now addresses males and females. When we have uh, males who are pretending to be females and vice versa, I mean, what what a crazy world we live in. How did how did things get to be this way? But we've got to address people where they are in 2023. Uh, Roger said, you know, we're not in the 1970s anymore. We're not in the 2000s anymore either, or the 2010s. Who would have ever believed the transgender thing that's going on today? We, as Roger has correctly pointed out, we do not change the message of Jesus, but we do change our methods and our means. The way I'm going to go back to the the powerful online presence, the website that is extremely valuable to reaching people. We can put short videos up there, lessons that will help people understand what's going on in the culture, and then the biblical response to those things. I think that's critical. But a, a church that fails to adapt to the culture is a church that is not going to do well. Amen. Don? <clears throat> yeah, I... Several years ago, I wrote a I read a somewhere I have no idea where I read a little deal that said uh, the tenth beatitude should have been blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape, and I've <laughs> I've always remembered that. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, folks get a little bent out of shape when things are adapted to our modern world. But I tell you, one of the things that COVID did for us, one of the good things that COVID did for us, was it made us think outside the box. It made us think about how to use technology in particular in a more effective way, not only for our own members, but as a tool for evangelism in trying to in trying to reach reach others. And all that, of course, is is critically important. You know, it's interesting. I, if I could just go back here to something I, I mentioned a moment ago. When you think about, you know, what what is a willingness to adapt to change have to do with thriving and dying churches? 
if I could just go back to something I said a, a moment ago. So many churches, all churches, all churches say that they want to grow and they want to thrive. The challenge is that not every church is willing to pay the price in time, in effort, in money, in adapting to the modern world in order to, to make that in order to make that happen. Roger makes a great point, you know. And again, I think COVID helped us with this. We've we've reevaluated, you know, so many of the things that we do in a local church now. You know, we do our assemblies different now. You know, we have our Bible classes on Sunday night at five o'clock. It's worked beautifully for us. It's been a, it's just been a, it's helped us thrive in, in some ways. We have a longer assembly on Sunday morning now with much more emphasis on the Lord's Supper, which has been meaningful to our people. COVID did that for us. It, and it was a byproduct of some incremental steps that we took. But you, you either do that or again, you get, you get paralyzed by your past. Nothing good comes from that. Yeah, very good. So uh, uh, let's see. Who has a Ricky? Are you the last one to answer on this one? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I go back to need. What What's the need? Mm, For example, very good. Uh, three or four years ago, I guess it was, I lose track of time. Uh, we were approached as elders to changing the times that we meet. Years before, we'd moved from six to five on Sunday afternoon, but this was much more radical. And so we spent time as leaders talking about this probably from February to August before we ever began to act. And one big change that we did is now we meet three contiguous times in the morning. We start at nine, we go to nine 50 at 10 for Bible classes, 10 40, 10 50 to where we're done. And that was all based upon the need that fit Campbell road. It doesn't fit everywhere. I'm, I'm not trying to promote that for everybody. It doesn't fit everybody. It fit us. That's a good point. And, and as, as leaders, we had to bring the people along. That was a big change. That was a significant change. I mean, you think about, if I can put in quotations, the Church of Christ way. We always meet at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock on Sunday night. Well, that was that was bucking that. And we had to work patiently with people. But one of our foundational things that we set ground rules we wouldn't violate is we wouldn't lose anybody. We weren't going to leave anybody behind. Every soul there was special to us. And so that that ad adaptation also fits the need that we have today. I'll make one other point going way back before that. So much of what I do. Is circumscribed, by, is circumscribed by transformation, being transformed to the image of Christ. And if we implant in the hearts of people, growing into his image, being conformed to the image of his son, and we can implant that in the hearts of people, and they continue to develop in his image, then a number of the things that we deal with that are challenges in local churches are going to evaporate because we're being conformed to his image. Peace will not be a problem. Yeah. Immorality will not be a problem uh, as the, the transgender thing that Max talked about will not be a problem because we're all trying to impress on people being transformed the image of Christ. And Don and some have mentioned the, the family thing. I guess one thing that we've emphasized more is this transformation, being transformed into his image to look like him. 
And if we do that, we're fitting the fundamental need that people have. And then all these other things can, can be adjusted. But if we don't fit that fundamental need uh, that people have like that, uh, we can have the best of things that have been talked about, but we're still not going to thrive. Amen. Okay, great, great thoughts. Okay, we um, have two more questions. We're doing great. Um, so, Ricky, we're going to talk about legacy. And so all of these things that you've, that y'all have talked about uh, are, are wonderful. And so you work hard, you get to a certain point, kind of like Solomon says, I've, I've built this and now I'm handing it to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Right. So how do you maintain, develop the legacy and why is that it's so important uh, to the thriving church 10, 15, 20 years down the road? What's legacy have to do with it? I'll try to keep this concise because it, that really I could go on with that. <laughs> when I first moved there to where I'm at 31 years ago, uh, we had two elders. And those two men set the shepherding model for this church. Successive elders have fit into that model, but it was because of what Daryl Davis and Joe Fagan did. We just appointed two weeks ago three new elders to bring into our leadership. And we have a host of young men that are two to three years out. And so we have emphasized this legacy of leadership, of following the model, the pattern, the example has been set for us. That's one aspect of it, promoting it and leading it on. But the, the second thing is, I think, think of 2 Timothy 2, too, that what you have received, teach to faithful men. And Max has done this, Don's done this, Roger does this, I do it. In fact, you're a byproduct of some of Robert, Roger's work of working with young men to try to tell, teach them and help them be established in preaching the gospel. Of course, my dad's a gospel preacher for 75 years. Uh, he's preached the gospel. And uh, I'm a byproduct of other men who invested in me. And so I take that and I invested in others. Uh, Roger's son, Jordan, works with us. Uh, Roger's 35, and he is dynamite. I, I love him tremendously. He does a great job. He's far better than Roger, and Roger will agree with that. But he's not as, knowledge he's not as knowledgeable as Roger, but he will get there. But I'm trying to. One day I won't be there. By, by some manner, shape, or form, I won't be there. Bob Bolton is who I followed. Bob Bolton followed Jack Holt. Those men handed down to me the baton. And I want that to be handed down to the next generation. That has everything to do then that I have to be willing, as Paul Earnhardt told me one time, I must decrease and you must increase. And that means we must decrease and they must increase. And that means we have to get out of the way. And that means we have to set our pride aside. And that means if somebody just slobbers all over Jordan and they kick me out the back door, he must increase, I must decrease. And to do, to be, to hand something off, we have to be selfless. We have to be transformed the image of Christ. Christ didn't say, come and stay. Okay, boys, I'm going to stay. I can't trust you. I'm going to stay. No, he said, I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm hanging it off to you. We're simply handing it off to the next generation that has been handed off to every one of us. Yeah, imagine thought. great thoughts. Imagine what it would have been like if Saul would have, have had that mentality toward David and been thankful yeah. for his successes. Yeah, it would have right. changed everything. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. Re I rejoice when other young men 
do good, especially young men that I've had some influence on. And there's some young men I've worked with that are doing great jobs in spite of me. Well, thank you for that. Uh, let's see. So, uh, Don, why don't you give some thoughts on legacy? Well, I appreciate what Ricky said. Ricky and I are in, <clears throat> in many ways in the same place. My dad preached as well. He preached for 60 years. And so in so many ways, what I am as a as a Christian and as a gospel preacher is based on the legacy that I received from my father. And I try to pass that on. You know, I've been blessed to work with a lot of young men in preacher training programs and have had them as interns who are just, as Ricky said, with, with his interns doing wonderful work and what a blessing that is. It's imperative, I think, as we get as we get older to be able to look backwards. When I moved to Temple Terrace, there were six elders. They're all they're all with the Lord now. But they were such wonderful men, and they helped this congregation build a foundation of soundness, solidness, and love for each other and respect for each other. And we, you know, we, as the old saying goes, we stand on the shoulders of giants along that line. But the other side of that is that the fact is all of our local churches are going to outlive us. I mean, the, the five men who are on this screen, all things being equal, our local churches will outlive us. You've got to do everything that we can to prepare the successive generations so that the church can continue to thrive. None of us are indispensable. I mean, if we think we're indispensable, we're delusional. You know, somebody asked me a while back, what will happen at what would happen at Temple Terrace if something happened to you? And I said, well, they'll have my funeral on Friday and I'll have church on Sunday. You know, <laughs> hope, hopefully I will have made a difference and I'll be remembered. Right. But it's not about me. And it's not about any of us. It's about the Lord and doing what we can to help successive generations continue on. Because there will come a time when we will not be here unless the Lord returns. Amen. Roger? This is a huge, huge, huge lesson for me. I mean, I, I just love this topic of legacy. Um, number one, because I'm a huge restoration fan. And I see what happens if it's not handled properly. If you drop that baton, what happens? In, in our community, we, we have just recently had numerous restaurants, numerous drugstores closing uh, they're little mom and pop shops. Mom and pop are dying off. They want to hand it to the kids. The kids don't want it. And, and all around us, we're seeing things closing. Same thing happens to churches. Um, uh, a, a little motto we have around here is to leave the place better than you found it. Mm -hmm. And that's just not physically, that's spiritually. And so my goal is to make this church better than when I came into this. And so I'll make it easier for the next preachers, easier for the next shepherds. That's that's my goal. And and Aaron, you know, uh, to, to what was said, I mean, when I look at you, uh, you and I have had numerous, numerous phone calls through the years. And, uh, you, you know, I, I'm a believer in you and you're doing great work. Uh, my son, Jordan, the same way. I mean, I, I, I'm unlike Ricky and Don did not have a father that was a preacher. So I've stumbled through this and I made lots of mistakes trying to make it easier for the next guys not to make the mistakes I've made, but to, to believe in that, you know, I, I don't feel, I don't feel uh, competition by younger guys. I've got a, uh, Jason Harden is working with me and I mean, it's, it's, he's amazing. And, uh, you know, I, about once a week say, I'm about ready to give you the keys of the whole place. I'm done. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's yeah. that's what I want. I want, I want to, I want 
when I'm no more, that this place doesn't skip a beat. And we continue glorifying God and doing what God wants us to do. That's that's the idea of a legacy. So you got to mentor guys. You got to train guys. Uh, who's going to be the next preachers? Who's going to be the next deacons? Who's the next down? These younger guys. You're looking at teenagers. You're getting that idea in their minds. And you're starting to realize the choices you make it's going to make all the difference. Yeah. One, one quick thing, and I'll pass it off to Max. But, you know, you think about sports teams and they talk, you know, college teams like Ohio State. I've lived in Ohio for 11 years. They talked about reloading, not rebuilding, because they were prepared, you know, Somebody went off to the pros, they reloaded. They just put somebody in that slot because they'd been preparing them. And uh, I, just, I think about that kind of concept. Okay, Max, uh, finish us out on legacy and then we'll Part move into the, the legacy. final one. Yeah, I'll try to be brief on this. Part of the thing of legacy at the Dallin Road Church is that of training preachers. Uh, we have at least six or seven, I guess, seven young men uh, who we have had some hand in training and sending them out. A little over 20 years ago, we brought David Rafe in uh, to work with us. Uh, David has been eminently successful in his work. Sean Jeffries, who preaches out in Phoenix, does extremely well. Matt Basford, Benjamin Lee, and then uh, some of our men, even from summer program preaching uh, full-time you know i didn't uh, i didn't grow up at the feet, foot of a preacher my dad was a car guy that's what i got from him he made me a car guy but uh, my dad was not uh, was not a, a believer in jesus um what uh, what i what do i want out of these men that we have trained i want them to be better than i am at the work that's that's my legacy i want these men to exceed whatever i've accomplished i want them to do more than i've done yeah. And I'm, I'm, uh, I watched that, uh, behind the scenes. So Max isn't just saying that. And I've known Roger since I was eight and, uh, he's not just saying that these men live it. And so I just appreciate you all so much. Okay. <clears throat> Before I get too sappy on the final point, Max excellence, you know, a few things about that. Well, so what does uh, excellent, what does excellence have to do with thriving versus dying churches? Uh, Do Things Well was a book that was put together, edited by David Banning and uh, uh, Brother uh, Warren uh, down in the Valley. Uh, we, I wrote the first chapter of that about uh, what, a, what an excellent worship service should look like. Uh, we're in a time when anything goes, doesn't go. It just doesn't work. When you invite people to come in and you've got a, a, a sloppy service, carelessly led, poorly put together lesson, uh, careless song leading, uh, you know, without having the, the organization, uh, the worship service organized well, everybody gets their turn at song leading, everybody gets their turn at everything. Uh, you know, some churches, that's kind of their motto. At this church, everybody gets their turn to do everything. And that just does not create an excellent worship service. I want to say that our God is an excellent God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. God far exceeds anything else in this world. Our mission, uh, as I mentioned our mission statement a few minutes ago, it is to glorify God. God is not glorified by carelessness or mediocrity. I've read the Bible from cover to cover. I've, I've read every verse. There's not a single passage in the Word of God where, where the Lord says, I'm happy when my people give me a half-hearted, mediocre effort. 
we need to do excellent work for our God because it is for God. Uh, there's a passage in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will not stand. He, he will not stand before unknown men. The man who achieves is the man who excels. And we want to excel, not for our own glory, but always for God's glory. That word excel there means this fellow takes care of business. He knows what, what to do, and he executes it well. And that's true in business, in family, in, in church uh, worship services. We need to strive for excellence in everything. You know, when we begin our service on Sunday morning, uh, Aaron, we will meet in that little side room and we'll say, guys, we're here to lead God's people in worship today. Let's do our very best work. And then we pray that we will, we will accomplish that. Sometimes we don't, uh, we don't achieve what we want. Sometimes we fall short, but we're always striving. And even Aaron, when you have preached your very best sermon, you and I'll sit down on Monday morning with uh, Reuben and we'll say, what an outstanding lesson it was, but, but it could be better because if, if your third point had used this verse, it would have strengthened it even more. See, even when we, when we think we've done our best work, we look for ways to do better. That's what excellence is about. Amen. Okay. Uh, let's see, Ricky. It, it playing off of what Max said in that last part, particularly. When I think about excellence, I also think about growth. You take the new convert. They can have excellence equivalent to their growth. You take someone who's been a Christian for years. Their excellence is going to be different because of their growth and their maturity. And so when I think about excellence, I think about someone's growth as well. It's doing what I can with what I have, where I'm at with the Lord. Not, not, I don't mean for that to be a cliche, but you take the new convert, they're not going to have the same excellence someone 20 years down the road is going to have. But in their growth, they can be excellent in that growth where they're at. So when I think about excellence, I think about the growth of people and helping them in their growth. And if I can help them in their growth, then excellence is going to be a byproduct. Excellence is a byproduct of spiritual growth and spiritual development. You take the young man, he may not be able to lead singing when he first starts, but he may be an R.J. Stevens when he finishes. Mm -hmm. And so, but that's growth. Excellence is about product of spiritual growth and spiritual development. That's how I look at it. Yeah, very good. Roger? Uh, I see excellence as being serious about what you're doing. Um, years ago, I did a funeral and uh, I was riding in the hearse with a young funeral director. We got done with the cemetery. We were riding back to the funeral home. It was a hot day. He had the windows rolled down. He's blaring ACDC. And I just asked him, pull, pull over. I said, everybody's looking at us because we're in this hearse. And they're looking at you. You got the windows down. You're blowing rock and roll music. I said, no, son. And I just kind of kind of gave him a little lesson right there, you know. And so so that's what that's what excellence means to me. It means it means you're serious about what you're doing. And to what Max said, God gave the best. He always gave the best the best in the word, the best in Jesus. He didn't open up some storeroom up in heaven and say, well, here's some junk. Let's just throw this down to earth. He sent Jesus Christ, pure and perfect. And so when we are honoring him, we're going to give God our best and do our best. And it's not mean I'm going to be the best preacher. No, I'm going to be the best that Roger can be. 
That's right. And I have a little prayer say every Sunday right before I get up in the pulpit, and that is, Lord, help me be the best I can be today. That's it. Great prayer. That's a great prayer. Don, close us out. Well, just let me just say ditto to everything that uh, Max and Ricky and Roger have said. I just completely agree with all of that. One of the uh, one of my heroes when I was a, a boy growing up was uh, John Wooden. And John Wooden, the legendary UCLA coach, because I, I was a Southern California boy. Yeah. And uh, I've got a ton of books over here on my bookshelf that he's everything that he's written. But Wooden was fond of saying that the world belongs to the discipline. The world belongs to the discipline. You just think about that. And that's true relationally, academically, it's true vocationally, and it's true spiritually. If we're going to excel, we're going to do things well as the title of warren's book suggests it's because we're willing to discipline ourselves again it goes back we're willing to pay a price to try to improve and to grow churches need to help with that we can help with that in the but we can also do it in training our young men ricky makes a great point you may not be able young men may not be able to do things with excellence immediately but we can help them and one of the things that Max has pointed out many times, it's always stayed with me, is, you know, sometimes we'll take a young man and he's not very good in the area and we'll say, well, we need to help you with that. Probably what we need to do is find what he's good at and help him truly excel in that because in yeah. that way he can make a great contribution to the kingdom. Yeah. We all need to support ourselves in those areas where God's blessed us with abilities and talent to do things well. Amen. Wonderful thoughts. I, hey, we did we did pretty well. A little bit over an hour. I'm I'm proud of us. You know, I mean, five preachers and and eight questions, and about an hour and ten. I'm, hey, we did pretty well. Um, but I wanted to, you know, just you think, you think about John Wooden. Uh, one one final thought there is his emphasis on the fundamentals. You know, and you just think about excellence and the the emphasis on the fundamentals. You know. You can't win a you can't win a championship ten times if you don't teach your your players how to dribble a ball, right? You got to practice on the basics, and so just some of that excellence has to do with you know the fundamentals, and even in some of our conversations, Max, on a Monday morning, it's things that I've known for twenty years, but I just forgot the fundamental, right? And so I have to go back to the fundamentals, and that's that's just so important. Well, we have done uh, a lot here. God bless you, men. Thank you so much for your your time. I know that's a sacrifice for all of you and appreciate the, the wisdom that you shared tonight. And uh, thank you everyone for joining us. And uh, hopefully this will be of help to you. Again, it's going to be on dallinroad.com. It'll be on our YouTube page. If you look for the Dallin Road Church of Christ YouTube page, and it's also on our Facebook page. So you can just watch this uh, whenever you want to. And, and uh, it'll also be on my website, shepherdingtalk.com. Thank you, everyone. Max, can you lead us in a closing prayer, and then we'll close out our study? Let's talk to the Lord. Our righteous and holy God, we close out this hour with this prayer that your name would be glorified in all that we do. That's been our intent of each of each of these men who have gathered here today. It's been our intent to honor you by our words and to encourage your people to strive to do well, to be, be that we might not only give glory to you, but magnify the name of your son to honor your word that was given by the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, Father, we pray that these remarks today would help folks on their way home to be with you. Bless us, Father. Bless the remainder of the evening. 
for each of those who have joined us. We thank you for all of those that have been with us this evening. We pray, Father, your hand of mercy and compassion be upon them. Bless them. Put your good hand upon them that they might succeed in your work. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. And thanks for joining us for today's podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at Aaron, that's A-A-Ron, at shepherdingtalk.com. Thanks and have a wonderful day.